0: Get your news in less than three minutes, three times per day with the Al Jazeera news updates. Just ask your home device to play the news by Al Jazeera or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: Today's show is brought to you by Audible. From beloved classics to the latest bestsellers, Audible offers emotionally rich, intimate spoken word listening for anyone seeking to be more productive, better informed or thoughtfully entertained. Join Audible now for their special anniversary offer. For a limited time until September 26th, new members will get two free audiobooks with their 30-day free trial at audible.ca. Audible is also giving away a free gift from now until September 30th to celebrate their anniversary. Just go to audible.ca slash free gift, F-R-E-E-G-I-F-T, and you get a free download of Canadianity, Tales from the True North, Strong and Freezing. This episode is also brought to you by FreshBooks Cloud Accounting Software. From quick and easy invoicing to automated expensing, FreshBooks makes accounting tasks easy and saves you a ton of time. On average, FreshBooks users save up to 192 hours a year. That's enough time to watch the whole Godfather trilogy four times over, I think. FreshBooks is offering a free 30-day trial for Oppo listeners. Just go to FreshBooks.com Oppo and enter OPPO in the How Did You Hear About Us section. That's FreshBooks.com OPPO. From Canada-land, this is Oppo. I'm Justin Ling in Toronto, and I'm already set for this election to be over. Today in our rotating celebrity guest host chair is National Post columnist Chris Selle. Welcome to Oppo, Chris.
2: Thank you for having me here, Justin.
1: Are you already super-duper digging this election?
2: It's just wonderful. It's just a contest of ideas, uh, the likes of which we haven't seen for... Four years.
1: We are in the writ now, baby. The campaign is underway, and I am already tired. On today's show, we're going to break down the first leaders' debate, which went down with a Trudeau-shaped gap in it. But we
2: did finally get to see the matchup we've all been waiting for, the one-on-one showdown between Jugmeet Singh and Elizabeth May.
1: Ooh, the top-card fight. Then at the end, I'm gonna try and convince Chris how badly we need a wealth tax until he finally reports me to the House Un-Canadian Activities Committee. Mm. All right, so as day one of election campaigns go, this. Probably couldn't have been more wacky. The 43rd federal election began in earnest on Wednesday with a news story from the Globe and Mail that the RCMP were in fact investigating the SNC-Lavalin affair. What's more, the RCMP interviewed Jody Wilson-Raybould. Surprise! (laughs) So obviously not great news for the Trudeau Liberals, but the symbolism really conspired against them. On their very first day on the campaign trail, the liberal media bus managed to crash into the left wing of the Trudeau campaign plane. And in came the replacement plane, the branding a little less liberal, but this one at least could take off. If this were a TV pilot, Aaron Sorkin would sue you for theft of intellectual property. It's just insane. What's more, this had happened to Trudeau's father on a campaign but forty years ago, I guess whoever was driving the media bus uh, took the slogan "Choose Forward" a little too literally. <laughs> right now, <laughs> all right, Chris, let's break down how each of the leaders did. Tell me how Jugmeet Singh was on day one. Well,
2: Jugmeet Singh was full of promises in London, Ontario. He has for you, all of you, national pharmacare, public dental care, vision care, mental health care. 500,000 new affordable homes 300,000 new clean energy jobs and he also has a selection of villains for you who you can blame for not having this already lobbyists corporate interests money launderers that was an interesting one he's talking about real estate i think we
0: can build 500,000 new affordable homes across this country and tackle the housing crisis we can do that But only if we have the courage to take on money launderers and speculators that keep on driving the cost of housing.
1: I imagine that episode of The Simpsons where they all meet at uh, Monty Burns' giant Mm. uh, evil castle on the hill. We're having ribs. (laughs) It's the local GOP committee meeting. And it's just Count Chocula's there. Andrew Scheer started his campaign in Quebec where the Conservatives are desperately hoping to pick up seats. He touted his working class bona fides, you know, claiming just how poor he really was as a kid, and tried to convince everyone that he's going to help them get head. Nope, whatever, it's fine, keep going. It's coming down to who you trust, to put more money in your pockets so that you can get ahead. Andrew Shear was kind of knocked on his back feet given the sheer volume and tone of the liberal oppo research team. They've been pumping out videos alleging that he is sympathetic to anti-abortion activists and there's a secret campaign at foot to, I don't know, throw us all into conservative re-education camps. Overall though, Andrew Shear had a pretty good week. Oh, also, he has a song. It's terrible. <laughs>
2: It's not good. And they got like a professional songwriter I know. put his name on it. Justin Trudeau's maiden speech for the campaign was big about his economic record and why not. Poverty is way down, unemployment is at historic lows, and job creation is way up. Um, he said, we're just getting started. Sort of an odd thing to say four years into a government. I mean, how long do federal governments usually last?
1: Mandates will continue until everyone is happy.
2: Four years and you're just getting started anyway. He told the crowd that the choice is between him and a return to the cuts and austerity of the Harper years, which isn't actually a thing if you look at government spending, but it doesn't need to be a thing. I
1: feel like this election will be choose forward and the next election will be choose slightly to the right and then choose slightly to the left, and then be like, choose, oh, that's the spot. By like the fifth mandate, they'll figure it out. It's
2: the center left versus the center right, just just in a pitched
1: battle. (laughs) The leader who should have had probably the best week was Elizabeth May, still riding high on some pretty good poll numbers and rivaling the NDP for uh, third or fourth spot. But any campaign launch that Elizabeth May and the Green Party was hoping to have went wildly off the rails as allegations surfaced that their star candidate in Quebec, former NDP MP Pierre Nantel, was, in fact, a sovereigntist. The allegations came from Pierre Nantel, who kept saying that he was, in fact, a sovereigntist. Now Liz May says that is not the case, Pierre Nantel believes in a United Canada. Those comments were quickly contrasted by Pierre Nantel, who kept repeating that he was, in fact, a
2: sovereigntist. It's one of the most extraordinary things I've ever seen. <laughs> In Canadian politics, he keeps saying, "I'm a sovereigntist." I'm a sovereigntist. She's like, "Book me on power in politics." I'm going to put this to bed tonight by saying that he's not.
1: No, no, no. He was saying sovereigntist.
2: <laughs> Still in Quebec, uh, the Rhinoceros Party. Hasn't they always been around? Oh, they've always been. They've always been there. Just, I feel like they went away and maybe they've come back. Anyways, I think they're they're, they're with a renewed purpose now. Uh, well, and what a purpose they have engaged <laughs> someone named Maxime Bernier to run against. Maxine Bernier,
1: with the, my favorite slogan of all time, which is "Not sure? Vote for both." <laughs> <laughs>
2: I mean, this this election deserves to have the piss taken out of it, and oh my I'm God, so happy that the R- rhinoceros party is. Full of beans.
1: And as though it couldn't get any better, a massive spy scandal broke mm. this week. The former right hand man to ex RCMP Commissioner Bob Paulson was arrested on a slew of espionage charges.
3: Cameron Ortiz was a director general with an intelligence unit in the RCMP, and sources say that he had access to the most highly classified information in the government. Security experts tell us it could be the biggest breach of national security in canadian history you,
1: you can't get through an uh, election campaign without some good espionage scandal i just love it i love it
2: yeah the rcmp is just they got their, they got their hands full with this <laughs> election that's
1: true I, I also love that a bunch of uh, stories had to explicitly mention that the arrest had nothing to do with that Lavalin or mark norman or like this is like kind of a yeah, list they, of scandals <laughs> it didn't have to do with any of these bullet points <laughs> And finally, the in-memoriam segment for all of the candidates who have been summarily taken out behind the woodshed and shot by their parties who don't want to have to deal with the bad day's news.
2: I will remember you.
1: It's day four, <laughs> to be clear.
2: Will you remember me?
1: There was no casualties in the Liberal campaign, but the Conservatives lost Cameron Ogilvie in Winnipeg North, who uh, proudly proclaimed his love for the white race. Can't say that.
2: You shouldn't even really think it, but you certainly can't say it.
1: The NDP lost Doc Curry in Can't Lose, Thompson a great name, over online comments threatening uh, various reporters covering energy projects out there. RIP. There's also Olivier Mathieu in La Salle, Verdun. He was alleged of domestic abuse. Which... That's not funny at all. No, that's not funny at all. He probably should have been fired, and good job on that front. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The Greens lost Eric Shulman in Simcoe North over a social media post that he talked about serving pig meat to Muslims, which, yeah.
2: Not not on message. Didn't not on message, that, Eric.
1: Didn't see that coming from the Greens, but here we are. And my favorite uh, firing of this week was from the People's Party. They ousted Brian Mizera in Coquitlam, Port Coquitlam. Uh, after, great writing name. It's, it's such a great writing name. It's the writing so nice they named it twice. <laughs> uh, they fired him uh, not over uh, racism or threats to Muslims or any of that. No, 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 no. He criticized Maxine Bernier for not doing enough to tackle racism within the party. Which is apparently a cardinal sin in the People's Party, so there you go. The White People's Party of Canada will not allow anyone questioning uh, a lack of racism in their ranks. I believe they have quite a diverse slate of candidates, if I was listening to last you week's oppo. That's true. that's true. That doesn't necessarily guarantee good policies, though. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, the, the, to their credit, the White People's Party of Canada insists that they fired him over some weird financial regulation issues. Elections Canada says, no, that's, that's not why. So there you go. Pour one out for all of the fallen candidates thus far. Oppo has a new sponsor this week. CBC Absolutely Alberta and Backroad Productions present Digging in the Dirt, a documentary about the psychological costs of working in Alberta's oil sands and the mental health crisis that has been ignored for a decade. It's raw, compassionate, and heartbreaking. And more than that, it's really interesting. Digging in the Dirt does a really good job of laying out the oil field conditions through the eyes of the workers themselves. Oftentimes, the conversation is about industry and economics and the price of oil and not about the mental well-being of those who are actually impacted and who work the fields every day. The film follows three workers, an underemployed crane operator, a recovering addict grieving his friend's suicide, and a supervisor training workers in mental health aid. The film really underscores the isolation and loneliness that is so endemic to this job and how that nearly destroyed so many of these men's families. For a lot of these guys, it means grueling in the fields for hours upon hours, but facing a boys don't cry attitude that can be really devastating. The people in the film are talking about ways to change the industry that would put mental well-being above profit. There's also some really interesting expert research into men's mental health, and the film imagines what a lot of these changes would actually look like in the real world. It asks some really tough questions, like what does this culture of toughness do to these workers? Why is it that this overwhelmingly male workforce feels the need to mask their emotions? And, most importantly, why is the suicide and divorce rates for these workers so high? The film is the product of Edmonton-based directors Dylan Reese Howard and Omar Mualim. Digging in the Dirt is a visually striking documentary that will change your assumptions about the people in the pitch. Digging in the Dirt is now available on CBC Gem and the CBC Gem app. This episode is also brought to you by FreshBooks, As a freelancer, you've heard me say this a thousand times. But you know what? It is so true. Day-to-day tasks can take up so much of your life and they can zap your productivity. More than just taking up hours, the more time I spend editing invoices and tracking down my expense receipts and bugging my clients to actually pay me on time, the less motivation I have to actually work. It just absolutely zaps my productivity. FreshBooks eliminates a lot of those menial tasks. There's no more sorting through my email archives to find that receipt or to find that email, I don't need to be you know screenshotting a lot of uh, you know flight receipts and all this. Everything is managed through the app, and it just makes everything so much easier. I've said it before, but freelancers save up to 192 hours thanks to FreshBooks, and you can really feel it. That's 192 hours of productivity where you make more money. FreshBooks is offering a free 30-day trial to Oppo listeners. All you have to do to get it is to go to freshbooks.com Oppo and enter OPPO in the How Did You Hear About Us section. That's freshbooks.com OPPO. The tumble in Toronto, the dust-up in Young and Dundas Square. Chris, it was the first debate this week, and I am wildly overselling it. <laughs> and Justin Trudeau wasn't there. Of course, you know, the leader of the, the three opposition parties uh, showed up, notably not Maxime Bernier, uh, showed up in Toronto to, to do the first English-language debate of the campaign, and, and Justin Trudeau decided he would boycott it.
3: Yeah, I thought
2: it was an interesting sort of experiment, actually. Well, not an experiment. Experiments a are delivered. <laughs> a failure. <laughs> <laughs> it's a const- failure. A constructive failure to give three <laughs> these three people a chance to sort of audition. And it was it was you know, one thing that struck me was that like they all sound they all talk like regular human beings. Really, is that what your takeaway was? That well, was one of them. Is that the, the, Justin Trudeau is so dramatic.
1: Oh yeah, that, no, no. Compared to Justin Trudeau, they, they. I mean, they sound like oh, some, regular humans. I the mean, street. they're still, they're still politicians. <laughs> I mean, who do you think won? I think everyone points out the Justin Trudeau one for not being there, but I think a little too cute by half. In your mind, of the people who showed up, who won?
2: I thought Singh did very well. I would say May did very well if it weren't for some of the just bananas things going on around her. Pierre Tantel came up in, in the debate sort of... Uh, obliquely. It obliquely, a reference to sovereignty. But you just couldn't stop thinking about this, even as she's making these yeah. solid points. And when it comes down to the you've got the NEP and, and the Greens, sort of neck and neck. And I don't know. I mean, I say Singh did well, but on the other hand, I was struck by a moment like both Singh and May at, at various points were criticizing the others for being overly ambitious. Yeah. Singh went after May, said, you know, we can't leave workers behind when we're trying to fight climate change. And it's sort of obliquely kind of nodding, I think, to the LNG situation right. in, in BC. And then at another point, Jagmeet Singh's talking about pharmacare. And Elizabeth May says, well, we went to the parliamentary b- budget officer, and then that costs $30 billion. That's too much. Where's the money so coming I from?
0: I don't see how, Jagmeet, I don't see how you found the money. How Your budget, as, as Paul said, it doesn't reflect the kind of costs for Universal free dental. It was such an interesting
1: dig to hear the the Green Party yeah. tell the NDP that their plans are not. And here,
2: these these people are both auditioning for like the idealist vote, right? The like, <laughs> screw all this incrementalism. Yeah, take my money and
1: and fix everything.
2: Yeah. And here they are still trying to play to sort of the middle, and, and, and they're at, what, 10%? I just don't see the point of this.
1: I mean, I, that's not fair. They're at 16%. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, I, I, think, you're right. I, I think it it's an interesting uh, contrast, though. I mean, I kind of expected them to sound too similar the whole debate, right? And, and you know, the real dust up there on either side of Andrew Scheer, and, and, and whenever they actually ended up interacting, they were always butting heads with each other. I have to say, Elizabeth May, I always find her the most compelling in any debate. Yeah. Um, and we were talking about it afterwards. If you happen to be watching the CPAC uh, stream of the the scrums, you heard myself and some other reporters discussing this because the mics were hot and we didn't realize. Um, but basically, Liz May could tell you that the Keebler elves are coming to deliver you healthcare, And you'd be like, I- I'm not sure I tr- believe that. But you know what? I, I kind of like her for saying it. Like, she could be promising you the most ludicrous things. But the way in which she says it is actually just like human it feels like a real person speaking to you and it feels earnest in a way the other leaders don't like as much as i think jugmeet singh did well during the debate he had four talking points he wanted to repeat and he repeated them regardless of the question, to it's the true. point of like you know insanity like um you know you want the ndp i think to some degree to to at least respond to the attacks from the other parties given how low they are and given how pummeled they've gotten you want to hear them fight back not just deliver a straight- to-camera sort of like sorkin-esque monologue well and
2: and and when may cornered him on climate change said look your, your plan's better but it's not good enough that's when he uncorked this line about how
0: you know the 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 greens aren't uh, pro-choice enough and the greens aren't pro national unity enough we have a solid position unlike the greens on a woman's right to choose we have a solid position when it comes that's down not true. to National unity. We have a belief that we can't. You're resolve.
2: talking me out of Singh doing well in this debate now, I think. It <laughs> you know, the, the, was just this pathetic little deflection. It was. On what is supposedly, if you listen to the liberals, the Greens, and the NDP, we're talking about the future of humankind. Yeah. And and everyone's futzing around except Elizabeth May. Yeah. Um, now, her plan is full of holes and is probably Always. impossible. <laughs> but, at but again, least she's You'd like saying, to hear her say it. At least she's saying. Yeah. We need to get to 1.5, or at least she's committing. She says she has a plan to get to 1.5. Yeah. Uh, the others don't even, I mean, the liberals don't even have a plan to get us to our existing targets. No,
1: no, absolutely. And I, I, I mean, it, it's fantasy land. And it was surprising because, you know, I expected a little bit more ganging up on Andrew Shear on that front. I actually kind of thought he he skated off a little bit. Andrew Shear's plan, at least on, on climate, is, is complete fallacy. Like, it makes less sense than the Green Party's in many respects. It is basically, we're going to scrap. Carbon pricing, but we're going to bring back carbon pricing in a, a different way that will look much different and you'll all love it. Um, I mean, we're all, that's effective. Yeah. <laughs> and, but, and we're also going to fix uh, the climate crisis with. Magic flourish technology, you know, like (laughs) the magic of technology, it, it, it defies logic that he's actually trying to campaign as the most environmentally focused leader, which he keeps repeating. He keeps going, I have the most comprehensive plan ever tabled. I'm like, no, you have you have 80 pages of like, you know, color photos that you printed off 800 copies of which in and of itself. Um. You know, it was kind of funny to watch Andrew Shear get into this debate because he started by looking like he was going to coast along like he was excited to be there excited to get his chance to pitch to Canadians and just spent the first 20 minutes getting absolutely pummeled by the other two and then kind of reverted in on a, on himself for most of the debate he wasn't it was not all all there
2: yeah I mean he, he's I think he did <laughs> I thought he did better uh in the debate even despite being pummeled than he often does in front of
0: Oh, that's The true. camera
2: on television when he's being interviewed, when he just seems hopelessly flummoxed sometimes yeah. by things that he should have practiced a thousand times. Like, he seemed pretty at ease up there. He seemed human. He seemed... The yeah. George
1: Spinders were happy with how he did because, in their view, it was a contrast against the radical so- yeah, you know, socialist exactly. next to him. And he's the obvious logical choice, if not Trudeau. But I don't know. There's a couple parts where it's just like, at one point, he's going on saying that we have to give First Nations the ability to say yes to energy projects, and then just gets absolutely browbeat by Elizabeth May in such an effective way. She talks about First Nations holding projects hostage, we cannot
2: create a a system in this country where one group of individuals, one indigenous community can hold hostage large projects that employ so many
1: indigenous Canadians he calls them communities instead of and I she am. just absolutely rips him See, the, the language you are you using is
2: so inappropriate when talking about indigenous Canadians you are missing the fact that section 35 of the constitution already is interpreted by the courts goes
0: almost all with the way to what the United Nations Declaration of Rights of Indigenous consult Peoples is when much you, different consulting than is not I will consult with you till you agree with what we've already decided to do the that's been... not
2: consultation
1: and, and like that's what makes Liz May kind of awesome is that she's just so on her toes she knows what she's Doing. I don't think Jugmead has the killer instinct to go in there and know exactly what lines to pick up on, know exactly when to jump in, and she just totally does.
2: But th- yeah, and yet, and yet, like the NDP are sort of ridiculous in my view in ways that are predictable. Yeah. Okay. Like, like Jugmeadson goes up there and doesn't just say that VIA Rail should be buying Canadian. Train cars. He says yeah. they must be buying Bombardier train
0: cars yeah. from Thunder Bay,
2: which has forgotten how to build any. build With Canadian
1: deal. the workers
0: who who no longer have a job, many of them receive layoff notices because they couldn't continue
3: to produce their. This show is sponsored by Better Help, therapy online that has served over three million people around the world, and Better Help is available here in Canada. A lot of people have various blocks or reasons why they. Don't just reach out for that help. And one thing you'll hear people say is they just don't have the time. I would like to mount a different uh, argument here, which is that if you are talking to a mental health professional, if you're if you're chatting with somebody about your life and about your priorities, you can clear away a lot of the clutter. You can actually find yourself with more time because you have a better sense of what's important to you. Like it's an investment that can pay off even in that practical way of, of organizing your life a bit better. These are some of the advantages in in the long run of having something like BetterHelp in your life. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to the show, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com/canadaland. Once again, it's betterhelp.com. Slash Canada land. Amazing products in Bombardier and Thunder
0: Bay. Now, at the same time, Canada spent a billion dollars on a contract to buy, uh, in our publicly owned train sector, to buy trains from a German company. And I've said that that's completely irresponsible. It's like, you're stumping for Bombardier? <laughs> this
2: This wreck of a company at this point that everyone hates? But then Elizabeth May... <laughs> has this has yeah, a no, wants SNC Lavalin to to be forced to
1: build it's so, it's so w- water
2: facilities on First Nations as punishment? And Singh Singh completely destroyed her on that.
1: It's the only part of the debate where you saw jugmeat totally just like leave all the talking points yeah. out of his head and go wait. That's crazy. Well, advertising it was infrastructure, a bad idea, fully it? against you, you it. You can just
0: accept it was a bad idea.
1: <laughs> <laughs> like Liz May, like you can almost hear the incredulity in Paul Wells' voice when he asks her. He kind of says, "No, you floated this idea that maybe SNC-Lavalin as penance for their crimes for bribing Libyan officials should be made or their alleged crimes, alleged crimes, uh, should be made to uh, repair drinking water infrastructure on First Nations Reserve. And it's just like and then Liz May goes, yeah, yeah, that's my idea. Let's do it. I mean, she's
2: nothing if not stubborn. I mean, yeah, look it's... at this Nantel thing. She's, oh, and, and... she's she's dug in, and she's damn it, sovereignty is not the same as separatism and I'm going to keep saying that for
1: six weeks. She's so stubborn. You know, I think all the things that make her really effective in debates and that will make her effective in the next debate when she starts poking at Trudeau are the same things that make her such a difficult leader because she's so unwilling to go. And unpredictable.
2: Yeah, and totally, You just never know what's going to come next. You know,
1: so Pierre Nantel goes on his shtick about being a sovereigntist after the debate. Liz May, it seemed, didn't know that Pierre Nantel had actually made some of those comments so we ask her, as she's being led away by by debate organizers because her time is up. You know, she's talking about Bill 21. She says we can't uh you know step in and make a mess and give uh fire to sovereignists. And someone goes, What about Pierre Nantel? And she goes, Oh well no, no, no Pierre is not a sovereignist. And we go, um And she says, No, no, <laughs> read not what he says. Read his website. And I'm like, well read his words and the way he keeps saying I'm a sovereignist. And the day after she came out and sort of said well, being a Sovereignist isn't the same as being a separatist. Yeah, which
2: is not something anyone <laughs> who calls himself either <laughs> thinks. And and she she had such an easy way to deal with this. Like, her party has basically, above everything else, above pharmacare, above everything else, is the climate crisis. Yeah. And even if you listen to the Liberals' rhetoric on climate change, the idea that Quebec separatism matters... Yeah. Relative to that, it's ridiculous, especially in 2019 when separatism is just and, and like I, there's lots of and, and the NDP's full of separatists, obviously. Yeah, uh, th- I mean, that Parato was a whole party
1: for for eight years until
2: like 20 minutes ago.
1: Yeah,
2: <laughs> and, and, and I mean, she could have just said, "Look, separatism is not even a live issue right now. We have one job, which is to fix the climate crisis, and we're yeah. happy to bring anyone in."
1: It's exactly how I feel about you know the pro-abortion candidates, about you know like all these candidates. I think you have a lot of leeway to say, "Listen." They hold views that are not really in line with the party, but 98% of their other views are very much in line with our party, therefore they belong here. You know, we stand a, a climate activist who's also a sovereigntist because you know we are putting priorities first. And you know, I think Liz May is kind of incumbent on her to say if we ever to foreign government, haha, or ever to be in a coalition government, we would not make Pierre tell the intergovernmental <laughs> yeah. affairs minister, which is yeah, probably incumbent. I don't think she needs to fire him. I don't think Andrew Shearer needs to fire all of his pro-abortion candidates. Like, well, I mean, it, how long ago was it?
2: Was it just accepted wisdom that? Your personal views on issues of conscience, like like abortion, is fine as long as yeah. you park them at the door. I mean, that was liberal policy until, yeah. what, 2015? Yeah. I, I mean, now suddenly every other party has to toe that line just because Justin Trudeau drew it in the sand. I don't understand why they don't yeah. have the courage to just say. I mean, Elizabeth May has said some pretty out there things about abortion by Canadian standards in the past. Yeah. I mean, she, she's, she said that she would never have one in a million years and she's tried to talk people out of having them.
1: Yeah. So it- just own it. And what's, what's frustrating, too, is that now you, to listen to her, she got, she's gotten so kind of like bombastic about it. Like, you know, I will never move an inch in any direction on this. She's just so you know, over the top trying to compensate for the digs against her past statements. that I, I think it's actually sort of kind of productive. Like if she believes otherwise, I wouldn't mind her saying that even if she's kind of saying, listen, I'm never going to legislate or I'm never going to restrict women's abortion rights. But here are my personal beliefs. I would find that interesting.
2: Yeah. Well, and, and on the separatism thing, I mean, it's it's like something from 20 years ago. I mean, Quebec politics has moved way beyond. Yeah. A lot the of separatism versus. In Quebec
1: don't, I mean, that's a priority. They, they,
2: you know, Francois Legault has a majority that he won on a promise never to hold a referendum. Yeah. That's as explicit evidence as you can get that. This isn't just this isn't the way it works anymore. That's not the dividing line. And every party is fishing for separatists in Quebec. The liberals have a former PQ health minister who didn't just support Bill 21. He supports uh, supported the, the values charter.
1: Yeah, this sort of witch hunt is starting to get to me. I, I think, multiple witch hunts, but I, but I also think it's incumbent on the parties to just convey that and just say, you know what, listen. Yeah. Yes, he's a fucking sovereigntist. I'm sorry if you don't like that, then don't vote for him. If you don't care, then vote for him. You know what? Our party will have some sovereigntists in it. Obviously, the Green Party is a federal party, and we will campaign for you know re- Quebec remaining in Canada if another referendum comes up. But just calm the fuck. And
2: out. you and there's inevitably they look up, they end up looking hypocritical because there's certain candidates you. can chuck over the side. Yes. And there's certain candidates that you can't, because you can't afford to lose that riding. And so they'll make excuses for someone in an important riding.
1: Yeah, exactly.
2: And jettison people in unimportant ridings. And yeah. if they just could <laughs> rediscover the idea that, I mean, they are supposedly big tent parties.
1: Yeah, not, not anymore. Yeah.
2: And you have to sign various sort of pledges before you can enter the tent. I think it's insane. It's ridiculous.
1: Okay. So who won the debate? I, have I changed your mind yet? <laughs> I think you might have. <laughs> So you know, I don't I had, think anyone run the debate. I think May won, but it doesn't matter. You know, I think she often wins the debate, but ultimately, we'll, you know, won't we'll move the needle because people still kind of look at her as, you know, Elizabeth May, who I like, who I would consider voting for, but probably won't.
2: Yeah, I think that's probably right. I mean, I don't know how many NDP Green swing voters there are,
1: really. I mean, I, the, I think there's, there's I think probably there's quite a few. Yeah, especially um, in the urban centers and I think Jagmeet did a good job of actually you know, introducing himself to the 100 people who were watching uh, well then there's that the, yeah, yeah how many people were actually watching but, but, but what I thought was interesting and then this is I think the real takeaway from the NDP strategy is that they knew nobody was watching what they wanted to do was force every newscaster who's was going to run a clip from the debate the next day to pick a clip of him repeating the talking point right. not pick the clip of him bickering with Liz May or Andrew Scheer but to pick the clip of him saying the NDP will introduce a green new deal for workers and you know throw the rich into the ocean and I, I think <laughs> That, to that degree, it's smart. It's smart yep. where he did that debate.
2: Yep. No, that's a good point.
1: And Andrew Shear was there. He yeah. Did, he did good. He was there. He was, I,
2: thought, I mean, look, Andrew Shear is, is never the biggest presence in a room. No. Um, I, and I thought that he looked his best self, really, like the best yeah. he can really be, he, which he is looked, inoffensive he was and. It for the first time in yeah, while. inoffensive and calm and engaged. Yeah. And, you know, throw whatever you have at me. I'll, I'm just going to sit here beatifically and respond.
1: I'm going to get you head. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This episode is also brought to you by Audible. Audible is a daily service for everyone who wants to feel inspired, educated, and informed. Remember what it was like to be able to read a whole book in a week? Well, Audible lets you get back to that, even as the world gets a little bit crazy. It's a great way to stay on top of all that reading you've always wanted to get done but it lets you do it while you're on a plane, or on the train, or in the rain, or running, or jogging, or trying to do paperwork, or whatever. Audible celebrates the art of voice performance and audio storytelling, supporting creative communities around the world. It is so much more than just an audiobook. It's an experience. I find I always want to sit and listen to a book when I'm flying somewhere. It makes the flight way more now, I'm going to give you one of my recommendations, and it's it's one that I didn't even know was on here until I went to look for it, but they have Kurt Vonnegut's Slaughterhouse-Five, and it's narrated by James Franco. Like, what? I'm very excited to listen to this because Slaughterhouse-Five is one of my favorite books. It's sci-fi, but much different than you're expecting. It, listening to James Franco, of all people, you know, read through this book is going to be so immersive, and I'm so excited to actually sit and listen through it. If you want to listen to this or one of Kurt Vonnegut's other books or any of the sci-fi novels that they have in their pretty impressive selection, join Audible now for their special anniversary offer. Just between now and September 26th, new members will get two free audiobooks with their 30-day free trial at audible.ca. Audible is also giving away a free gift between now and September 30th. All you have to do to get it is go to audible.ca slash F-R-E-E-G-I-F-T and you get a free download of Canadianity, Tales from the True North Strong and Freezing. Just go to audible.ca slash free gift So long time listeners of the show will know that I strongly believe that in order to solve many issues directly facing the country, I believe it's incumbent on political parties to support strong policies supporting our right to eat the rich. Now, unfortunately, no party has gotten there quite yet. The NDP, however, has gotten the closest. Jagmeet Singh has announced that his party would support a 1% tax on families who have amassed more than $20 million in wealth. To
0: pay for some of our promises, we're ready to increase revenue. And to do that, we're asking the people at the very top to pay a little more. And so we put forward a super wealth tax, which is a tax on those who've got fortunes of over $20 million. The PBO has announced that that would raise in the first year close to $6 billion, and eventually it could build up to about $10 billion.
1: It's a pretty bold policy that I actually was not totally expecting from the NDP, and frankly, I'm pretty cool with it. And now, Chris, I don't know. I was assuming that given you're a National Post columnist, you would be here to take me away to the re-education camps.
2: Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think I'm in favor of eating the rich. Um, well. I mean, if if they were going full like Thomas Piketty, you know, talking about taxing billionaires out of existence, that would probably get my hackles up. And the parliamentary budget officer was very clear. I mean, the risk with these taxes is always that rich people just find a way around them, yes. which is not a reason not to do it. Because what is wrong with a country that can't tax people? That's kind of not a great thing. Yeah. But, I mean, 1%, I'm not. I, uh, I don't.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, so, Jack if Jagmeet has it, won over the National Post columnist is crowd. It,
2: is it bold? Really? If anything, I'm struck by the fact that, it like, from what I can see, it amounts to about 2% of, of government overall program spending.
1: Yeah, which is actually great. So just to, to, to go back for a second, the parliamentary budget officer did a write-up and it did an analysis of what this plan would actually mean, um, which is, by the way, fucking awesome. You know, this is the first election where the PBO is going to be costing out probably the entire platforms of these parties, meaning we're no longer going to have the loosey-goosey made-up numbers that used to be kind of the staples of, uh, of parties' uh, campaign documents in the past. So I fucking love this. Uh, the PBO estimated that uh, the NDP proposal would pull in about $2 billion in revenue in the first year, so by uh, by 2020, two billion dollars in revenue. Uh, by uh, 2030, we're looking at about nearly ten billion dollars in revenue from this wealth tax. Like you say, the PBO uh, underscores that there's a whole bunch of uncertainty here because we don't know who's going to flee the tax. But two percent of overall government spending—that's huge. A government hasn't found a new way to boost revenue by two percent or to cover two uh, percent of its spending, and. In some time.
2: I guess you're right, yeah. I, but it, I guess, so that's why. I, I, I can't bring myself to be that upset about it, <laughs> frankly. I, you know, I don't intend to have $20 million of net worth at any point in my life.
1: Well, you're not dreaming big enough.
2: Um, well, <laughs> I, I'm hoping to win the lottery, but you'll note that lottery winnings are exempt yeah, from this, true, yes. which I think is quite funny. Why exactly are we doing that?
1: Well, because regular people win lotteries, I guess. Yeah, exactly.
2: Everyone thinks because they're going to win the lottery. Regular people don't get rich. Exactly.
1: Um, So I think this is actually super interesting. I I think it's even interesting that you're not that um, offended by it, which totally blows apart the segment where I was hoping (laughs) you were going to call me a crazy communist and there would be a fun debate. But
2: it's it's just a difference. It's a difference of degree, not kind. Right. I mean, we tax rich people more than we tax.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is the foundation of poor people. Uh, yeah, like it's it's. But as, as many people rightly point out, income is a very bad indicator, of, of of wealth, right? You know, it doesn't actually indicate wealth. This has been the failure of our, our our progressive income tax going back, you know, seventy years. Is that people have been able to amass wealth in different ways through the fact that we only tax half of capital gains, or through really clever, you know, offshore tax regimes, or this or that, or or aggressive tax avoidance. People have been able to sort of squirrel away huge amounts of cash, um, and that have. That has sat there with virtually no tax yeah. on it.
2: Valuation optimization is the term that the PBO uses. Oh my! To describe how one arranges one's assets. I mean, I I believe in in low taxes, but then I also believe you look around this country, and there's just there are situations that cannot be allowed to continue. I mean, yeah. the 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 state of the worst off first nations we have is is just completely untenable. Like if that was going on in in cities it would be impossible to ignore and we would ha- we would have to throw money at it not that throwing money at it solves the problem but
1: but money but sure it, helps but you
2: but you can't <laughs> you can't do it without that money yeah, that's right i mean infrastructure you know there's all these things uh, yeah i'm ideologically in favor of low taxes but at the same time we've if- the country's falling apart what else is there i mean you, you we need more money to fix this
1: in the debate andrew Shear basically said you know we need to make sure that we're providing the same level of services for first nations as we are for non-first nations communities which sounds like a nice thing to say but the actual gap in those two numbers it's is enormous. massive like that so in those few words andrew Shear recognized that we need billions, probably tens of billions of dollars in new infrastructure spending. And he also wants to balance the budget in five years. The simple reality is the Conservatives' allergy to new revenue sources is going to absolutely destroy their credibility on these issues.
2: Yeah, to the liberals too. Yeah, for sure. It wouldn't be that hard really to balance the budget. If you, if you look at historic budget-cutting exercises like the 90s, I mean, we're not...
1: But the, the, the pain that was felt in those cuts in the 90s was obvious. And and you heard Andrew Shear again in the debate say we're, we're not going to go about reducing – at least reducing the growth in uh, social service and healthcare spending, which at that point – you've just closed every door in the yeah, fucking house. No, abs-
2: absolutely. Conservatives sometimes fall back and say, well, it, so much of this money gets wasted. And, you know, there's no question there's waste in government. But again, how long do we put up with this? You know, here in Toronto, in a municipal sense, I've long abandoned fiscal conservatism long ago and became like, take my money, build transit. Yeah. Like, we can't go on like this.
1: <laughs> the externalities of not spending are so much greater than the yeah. actual deficit costs. I mean, the, the fact that you can't get to work on time, the fact that you're spending an obscene amount on your TTC fare, the fact that your house is is, is wildly unaffordable. All those are costs that, that flow from the government not spending money in the, or spending money wisely or efficiently or enough.
2: Absolutely. I mean, I don't think it's a conservative position. I mean, I don't even really call myself a conservative, but there's nothing conservative about just shoving a bunch of problems over into a pile and right. saying we will deal with those later not not when those problems are you know basic infrastructure not when those problems are like clean drinking water not when those problems are just a harrowing suicide crisis these things There's, demand money to be spent on them
1: and, and and weirdly you know you can sit and say that you know, Liz May or, or Jagmeet meet Singh or whoever is is talking in a fantasy realm by saying that we need to spend a hundred billion dollars here there and the other place on a green new deal but in many ways that is more realistic about the long-term sustainability of this country country than Andrew Shear saying, "No, I'm going to balance the budget and maintain service growth and I'll pay for it by uh, I don't know, pulling out 200 million dollars we're spending in the Asian infrastructure bank." Like it, it it there's a lot more nonsense that goes into that, you know, Andrew Shear's position or Justin Trudeau's position um, than the other ones. I mean, what would be nice is to hear Andrew Shear go, "Okay, I'm going to keep uh, service and healthcare growth as is. I'm going to balance the budget in 5 years and here's the revenue tool I've devised how to do it." Right. There's a much more honesty that comes from that.
2: You you talk about honesty. I mean, to the extent this election is about climate change, I mean, that is just a pure fantasy land. The whole thing is is just so, I mean, you read these climate plans and they're so vague. They're they're vague and just unbelievably ambitious at the same time.
1: What's bugged me so much about uh, the NDP of the past, as well as the Liberals, as well as the Greens, is that often when when pressed on how to pay for these things, they go, huh... Offshore tax havens and there's you know sparkly lights behind yeah. them and and like it is it is a complete myth. Every government from the Harper government to the Trudeau government and many in the past have talked a big game about offshore tax havens. Well, they are but,
2: still talking a big game about offshore tax havens. I know, havens, it, <laughs> uh,
1: but the reality is, and you know, people get very mad when you point this out, but we just have not been able to recoup the amount of money that we've hoped to recoup from them. Um, so. What's so nice about this wealth tax is that it's very, very targeted. Um, people will point out that there will be probably capital flight if this comes in. And Joe Singh actually very pointedly responded to that and kind of said, listen, our country's pretty good. If you want to leave, you can go. <laughs> there's a really good chance that Gavin Weston is not going to be like, well, there's a wealth tax. Goodbye. Like, I'm going to keep my, you know, Canadian franchisee grocery stores, but I'm going to fuck off to Barbados. Like- you
2: mean Galen Weston?
1: Yeah. Galen or Weston. Who is it? Gavin Weston? Galen, I don't know. Galen's I mean, evil twin. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, sure, some will leave. Yeah. Um, and some will try to avoid it. And there's there's very clever ways in which you can make sure that they they, they don't skirt around it. That's what the CRA's job is. Um, and I, I don't think it's beyond the realm of possibility that we can actually you know raise this $10 billion that the PBO thinks is possible. Well,
2: I agree. It's nice to have a, a, a tangible revenue source there, a tangible, plausible revenue source. I guess when I look at it, if, if I'm the NDP, I, I almost just wonder, why not 2%?
1: Yeah, like I mean, that's Elizabeth Warren's plan. You're you're, st-
2: you're stuck in third place. Why not go bigger? That's what I don't quite understand. Is is this urge that even the liberals and the Greens and you are the, the the NDP and the Greens and you saw it in the debate have this sort of centrist urge at times? Like whoa, 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 whoa.
1: We Pharma- want welfare, pharmacare,
2: really? Yeah. <laughs> or yeah. like like well, yeah, okay, future of the planet, yes, but I mean steelworkers. Elizabeth like let's let's be realistic here and I don't know hell I'd vote I mean I'm I wouldn't vote for any of the major parties in this election certainly
1: All you are right. a card carrying communist I'm sure yeah
2: I mean if, if if Jagmeet Singh came out and said like 2% 3% I could almost be like well hey
1: <laughs> Maybe there will be the it's, National Post editorial this week. Junk Singh's wealth well taxed, not big enough.
2: Yeah, well, I'm not on the editorial board <laughs> anymore.
1: No,
2: I, <laughs> I, I mean, I agree with you. It's it's a thing. Yeah, as opposed to just a fantasy. And
1: I like that the door's open
2: now. And, and I mean, I don't know how the liberals would argue against it. We're gonna we're gonna see it. <laughs> because what what do you have? You you have the exact same priorities basically, and you don't have a plan to pay for them except to borrow. Yeah, which which is not great. No. Why borrow when you can soak the rich? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'd like to be I, I, a bumper sticker.
2: I, I, I don't so much support it as I just think, well, I enjoy seeing political parties put together internally coherent arguments.
1: That's a very good way of phrasing it. On
2: the other side of that coin, you have the, the, the climate change plans, which are yeah. just a whole mess of fantasy and fiction. So, but yeah, it's it's nice to see.
1: Longtime listeners of the show will know we have a segment called Where the Fuck is the NDP? I think I may, I think I may have finally found an answer. They're here. We found them. Yeah, I, I always thought that they would do better than this yeah. kind of rock bottom that they've hit. I think I think that's right. I think you're going to see a rebound for the, for the NDP in this campaign. Whether it'll be enough to be 20 seats versus 60 versus, you know, I don't know. But yeah. I don't I, think they're going to get reduced to zero.
2: I, I I would be very surprised if that happened. I just think that, that, unfortunately for them, that they have kind of their natural level. Jack Layton took them on a trip, and then they just kind of started sinking back down I, to I the think, level they were
1: at. I think the more they steal uh, campaign planks from Elizabeth Warren— the better off they're going to be. All right, well, Chris, say it with me. Eat the rich.
2: Mm.
1: (laughs) Okay, fine. That's Oppo for this week. Get in touch at oppo at canadalandshow.com or find us on Twitter and Facebook at OppoCast to let us know what you think. We're weekly now if you haven't gotten the memo yet, so we will see you next Tuesday. This episode of APA was produced by Laura Howells, our managing editor is Kevin Sexton from Canada Land Media, and the theme music was by Nathan Burley.
2: And I have the last word this week, it seems. And that word is billionaires. Eat them. Hmm. Ask them to contribute a little more. And then eat them. Hmm.